Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are Irenacast. I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. Casey. It's Rajiv. Thank you for joining us for our continuing conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, our episode, uh, episode 169. Our illustrious co-hosts, Bonnie and Casey, got a chance to sit down with uh, Juanita Robertson and have a great conversation. So we're going to be we're going to be talking about that conversation. So those of us that that weren't privy to it in the moment, we, we've got to hear it, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. So. Uh, let's do that. Um, we'll wait for everyone. Just to reminder, everyone, as you're coming into the live stream, if you uh, have any comments or questions uh, about the episode or about anything we say here, please feel free. I want to hear from you. Uh, we legitimately like feel very strongly that this is a continuing the conversation, not just between the five of us, but between us and the listeners of the show. So please uh, pop in. It looks like we have some people that have said hello so far we got a got a youtube watcher right now so thank you for that this is the all right look at us there we go streaming both ends at the same time so um (laughs) so why if you're listening lot if you're listening on the podcast feed you can check out uh the show notes to this or ways to watch this at irenicast.com slash 169 live that's irenicast.com slash 169 live that'll be the show notes for those of you that are listening on the podcast feed and i just want to say that it's 105 degrees in my house so if you want to watch me slowly melt stick around (laughs) and we'll see what happens (laughs) i'm so glad i made it here though because your guys's conversation with juanita was so awesome it was like drinking from a fire hose it was so great it was really great absolutely yeah i go ahead bonnie Oh, I was just going to say, Jeff is probably the only one who's feeling not quite so hot right now in Central Valley of California. Mm. He's on the coast, so yeah, it's it's pretty nice here. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, especially like right where I'm at. We're like right on the coast, so it's been overcast, cool, and windy all day, and uh, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, uh, you know, not to make any of you all feel jealous or anything. <laughs> well, thank you. Casey, you were going to start us actually in the conversation. So, what were you, what were you thinking? Yeah, I, um, I first of all, I thought that Juanita was amazing, and having you meet her, Bonnie, was just like wonderful. Right, uh, two people that I respect so much. Um, to share that conversation with you was just such a delight. Um, but. I agree with Alan that often when I spend time with Juanita, it's like drinking from a water hose uh, because I literally could sit there and just like one sentence at a time, think about it for hours. Right. Um, and so uh, I imagine that for our listeners, there were probably moments where you just kind of hit pause and went, can I just like sit in that? And if you haven't listened to it that way, I would invite you to take the time uh, and listen right. to it that way. Thank you, Kason, I mean, for joining us uh, in the conversation. Sorry, there's going to be a lot of interrupting here. We want to acknowledge our, our friends no as they come through. Thank you so much. Hi, Kason. And Janelle, welcome. Hi, Janelle. What's up, Janelle? Glad but Bonnie, you had never—I mean, you had never met Juanita. You had—I mean, this—you just sort of walked right into this because you love me, which is great. You know, um, you were like, "Okay, Casey, like, sure, let's do it." Um, uh, what was that like for you? 
Yeah, it was it was great. I mean, you're of, of course you're you're our um just an amazing connector, Casey. So you you knew that probably if we were able to sit down and talk together that we would we would be able to see eye to eye on a few things and I found that to be so true with Juanita. I think that the yeah. wisdom that she shared is exactly what we need for these times and also it's the heart it's hard. It's hard for us yeah. because it's very counter cultural. Right. Yeah. Lisa so, and Sila, yeah. welcome to the conversation as well. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Hi, Sila. Sila. Good to see you. I uh, had to go turn the AC on. I was I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so- Talking and commenting in the... <laughs> Yeah, I'm Are commenting chatting? and chatting. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, well, if I if I go quiet, it's just because I don't want the AC to come through. So I'll mute myself and I'll just chat in the in the group. Hi, Davina. Hi, Davina. Glad you're with us. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, hey, Davina. I I love to hear from the other folks who were not on the podcast or not yeah, uh, not part too. of the conversation. Um, what were your thoughts? What what struck you as as you were listening to um, Juanita talk? Like 40 different things. <laughs> yeah. I like kept writing these notes and I was like, oh my goodness, yeah. I have to think about that Me for like too. a week. So yeah, I have a whole list of stuff, but just off the top of my head, I know it was like a, a side note, but something that really spoke to me was, uh, you know, the difference between attachment and love. Like what does love look like? And attachment and love are not the same thing. And I think I posted that on my Facebook page. I've known that before, but I don't think I've ever really thought deeply about it. That sometimes like what I think is love or I feel is love is just my attempt to hold on to someone else or attach to them or their attempt to hold on to me. And it's like, well, if if we attachment can be good, but if you just move beyond that and think about what love looks like, um, man, it's world changing, I think. But that's as an example, that was a side note that was just like a blip on the radar. So Again, it feels like a fire hose of like wisdom and like good things to talk about. So um, it, it felt felt really good. And a couple of times, Bonnie said something. I was like, that's exactly what I would say. Yes. Like, <laughs> like at the end, you were like, how do I measure things? That's my question I'm taking away. Like the, the yardstick analogy. Like, what is my vehicle for measuring things? I was like, that's that's how I felt at the end of the conversation. And that's such a cool, exciting place to be in. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I I too enjoy the conversation. I mean, I I really she was an incredible guest. I hope we can have her back when her book is done. Um it, it, I I just think she's a she's a great voice. The two things of many that really stuck with me, one is the universe wants you to be right. Yeah. I mean, walking <laughs> around with that sense like, you know, I I the universe isn't out to get me. It's it's on my side in a way. And so you living into that is a great way of, of framing just daily life. Um, and then the other part was like the mentorship, the rites of passage. She used a different word, but I can't quite remember it. Initiation, I think. Init- initiation. She talked about the chakras, which uh, I'm not a s- student of. I'm familiar and a fan of. But... Uh, if you imagine an hourglass shape, there's the lower and upper portions of each chakra and that narrow part in the middle, that's where the initiation happens. 
And we've gone away from that because initiation is communal and it requires mm-hmm. some, some growth and difficulty. Uh, and we're just all, you know, we're, we're in this wild west mentality of like my opinion's right. Cause it's my opinion. And um, I think we need to bring back forms of initiation that are framed by the notion that the universe wants you to be right. We want you to be right. And right doesn't right. necessarily mean factual or accurate, but right as in like just, merciful, um, and, and full. That's I, think, the part. I think what you said was the universe wants to prove you right. Prove you right, yeah. yeah. Which right. I think the yeah. universe proves us right, even when we're wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, so right. it's more like yeah. an attraction of, um, you know, your belief system is going to attract certain experiences to you. That's what kind of what I think she was saying. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, shifting belief systems is really what initiation is all about. That's what growing up and growth is all about. A transformation of belief systems. At least that was my understanding of what she said. I, yeah. I totally heard that also, Bonnie. Um, uh, do you want to go, Alan? Yeah, that just hearing Raj, uh, Rajiv talk about the the initiation stuff and listening to Quanita, it was really triggering for me to, to some extent. Ooh. I'm 100% down with the fact that we don't have good initiation rights. I think a lot of us who have done youth ministry have kind of known that on some like visceral level for a really long time. But um, I feel like for some of the backgrounds that we're coming from, initiation rights are keeping you in those lower levels, whatever the metaphor was used or the religious language. Like it's almost as if it's a denial of your agency, like uh, some of the, the the rites of passage inside of some of the Christian forms of community is almost as if the community is uh, invading on the individual rather than calling the individual into this like higher consciousness and allowing it to like blossom and grow. The community is the very thing that's like sinning against us. And so for me, I was like thinking through, you know, we're talking about these initiation rights, but it's a different kind of, of, of right. Like there, there are rights in, in the, the, in certain fundamentalistic circles that are by all appearances an initiation right, but they're not true initiation rights. And so for me, like I'm looking at the difference between ones that actually stunt our growth and um, like I use the word sin, but basically like invade against us and those that are actually calling us out um, into some more growth. And so for in my mind, I'm wrestling through what makes an initiation right true. How is it different than some of the ones that, you know, it's almost as if like some church experiences are hazing, you know, like it's, <laughs> I don't know. There, there's a, a sense that we need to build new ones or have certain rituals that help us in that process. So I appreciated her description of what they do. I'm excited to see what kind of rituals are developed for us going forward. Uh, I, I mean, I think one way to look at it is, is, is the right to concretize what's already there and has been there for forever. Or is it actually to help move people from one thing to another? And that's very different. You know, the church often, I think it's just like, let's just get this inculcated so deeply in people's minds and brains that they will never leave it. That's not initiation. Right. I would love right. to hear from those of you that are, are listening. If you had a chance to listen to our last episode, uh, episode 169 with uh, Juanita, if you have any questions or comments to what we're saying now or something you heard in the episode that you'd like to respond to, uh, we'll be watching the comments. So um, 
Yeah, we were. Or if you've been through an initiation, right, that you appreciated, or if you feel like you've had those moments of transition, love to hear what those are like. Janelle, uh, I definitely feel uh, stunted. Like I was completely unprepared for adulthood by the church and just expected to to take care of everything and never taught how to take responsibility Mm -hmm. for myself. You are not alone, Janelle. Right. For sure. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard me say this before, but my thing about like, um, it's either God, you know, or, you know, the devil made you do it. Or uh, all glory to God, right? Wasn't that the idea? Like, we had no self. Um, and to actually own our own feelings, own our own desires, uh, to name what is deep within us was something we were not trained to do. Um, because it was either sin or or God's, you know, goodness. And I think that that's, um, that I, I hear you, Janelle. Yeah. That's another part of the conversation that you all went into as well how guilt and shame are actually covering the real work and it's a way of avoiding, man, I was listening to this in the car and trying not to get into accidents with all these like deep thoughts I'm having. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, thinking that uh, we all, you know, it's not that we all grieve differently. It's that we all avoid grief differently was just a huge realization for me that I love my shame and guilt because it is a protective measure from, from feeling other types of things and particularly in this moment when people are feeling guilty or shame over where they're at in this societal conversation around white supremacy, white power, like all the different thing that we're, things that we're talking about. Um, sometimes those shame and guilt prevent us from feeling what we're actually feeling in the midst of our transitions and growth. So that was interesting. Yeah. Also like healing grief and trauma, uh, recognizing that we we often don't heal it we just keep continuing on and we don't stop i can't help but think of our entire community everybody who's watching like all the listeners that we have how many of us are actually grieving the loss of something that we really loved and not actually fully doing it like the anger is important it's, it's good but reaching the place where we're actually stopping everything and truly grieving something um and then moving on from it that's i don't think a lot of us do that so that that, that felt like an invitation to all of us too Mm-hmm. I just Hopefully don't need to like hold a funeral or something for our <laughs> for our former experiences and traditions. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't think there's a lot of areas or opportunities in any part of our culture to stop. And I think that yeah. that's like you you don't stop. I mean, we we live by sayings like the show must go on and stuff like that, where uh, the um, uh, you know, things just need to stop. I think there's like a, uh, in second Samuel, right in the beginning, not to go biblical on everyone, but I'm fine with the Bible um, most of the time. And, uh, but, but King David, like after Saul dies, even though Saul was awful to him, like he gives this eulogy of sorts. And there's a part where he talks about how like, like the heaven should stop. There should be this pause where you should kind of soak in what's happening here. Uh, because, because the passing of life is something worthy of stopping the world for. And we, we mm. don't have spaces, even in church, to stop and just sit in it before we move on. I mean, even if you think about the, the language that we use in a lot of uh, funeral services, it's always, well, they've gone on to this. And we're getting ready to go on to this. And because of this person's legacy, we're going to live forward in this. So it's always pushing people forward. And it's just saying, let's let's sit 
uh, Janelle said, now that I'm on my own, it's like I've been spurred into a place of recognition in my own agency and just how capable I am, Mm -hmm. as well as being able to fully grieve and heal from the things I was never given space to truly face before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And And go ahead, Bonnie. I was going to say, Quinita talked a lot about forgiveness too and how, um, and and I think especially in in our situation, those of us who, who left communities of our formation, communities that we've loved, you know, and, and, how much of of our work is related to forgiveness and you know how how do we sit with that um i don't know i thought she offered a lot of insights what do y'all think about the idea that we don't heal alone that we only heal in community i think it's 100 percent true 100 percent true yep maybe that's where all the what did you guys from right like not having those communities to heal from to heal with i don't or, think it's, it's exclusively either or like i i think there's fine for there's fine to have room alone in our grief i, I don't think that it's i don't know that's just maybe that's just me <laughs> you know we we all know uh my issues with some of that stuff but i think that i think that to to exclusively say like i think yes the overall arc is it, that's 100 percent true for but i don't think that that doesn't mean that there's not space for solitary Right, but that's not a destination. Right, true. That, and that isn't the goal. I mean, healing doesn't happen in isolation. Right. And and I think that's what she was calling us to, is a recognition of that. And, you know, some of this is just, you know, we've got to, uh, as people coming out of fundamentalism, um, evan- evangelicalism, and American, you've got this triple whammy almost of, if you're suffering, it's because you're flawed. If you're grieving, it's because you haven't done things right. Right. Rather mm-hmm. than working on grief and grieving better as a process to being better and fuller. Right. Going back a little bit in the conversation, uh, Lisa says, for me, baptism uh, was sort of a rite of passage because in my tradition, you chose it as an adult and we were welcomed as a real Christian, but if, but it still felt co-opted because it wasn't about growing is morphed into, into being about obedience. That's, that's mm-hmm. very true. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Shannon also said, uh, Shannon then says, as far as healing in communities, think about all the support groups for grief. Mm-hmm. It helps so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I think uh, going back to the idea of what Lisa was saying with the rite of passages and baptism being one of those, uh, I remember, I remembered vividly the day of my baptism in uh, mm-hmm. freshman year of high school and how much of a rite of passage there are. But then thinking back of it, how easily that rite of passage was, was manipulated in ways. Um, yeah. yeah my, mine was in middle school and it was all about social pressure and conformity. It was not really not about my spiritual development at all. Hmm. It it was like the only place where our community allowed people to tell their stories. Like mm. there was there was no room for people to tell their own stories in the church I came from, and that's my perspective as a kid. You know, going to church three times a week, but I feel like it was unique at, at a, a baptism. Someone could finally talk about their story, and it was always usually a story of this like breaking. You know, this about how unworthy we are of of God, and then God breaking through that unworthiness and coming to us and. 
one thing that like stuck in my mind was I remember sitting in the pew and watching a woman being baptized and she didn't feel like she was even empowered enough to tell her own story. So she had a man read it um, because she felt like that would be more obedient to the, the, the tradition. And I remember even back then being like, man, that's, you know, I, I wish I could hear from her. <laughs> like as one of the kids of the church, I wish I could hear her voice. And, you know, so what, what is that? Is baptism is like unfurling of our lives and like revealing of who we are, or is it a shutting it down? And yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't know the church you grew up in, Alan. But no, we're different. <laughs> if, it's, if it's anything like where I grew up, when it was like opportunities for testimony, there was no real revealing at all. It was all, you know, there's a template, and you basically add your own flavor to the template, and and that's what you you share. You're not telling the truth about yourself, yeah. Because that's not what people wanted to hear, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe that is probably one of the biggest parts of grieving in terms of being in community uh, or those communities that we were a part of is that you never really get to tell the truth, right? You, you, there, you spend all of this time with people in prayer circles and Bible study and raising your kids together, and they have no clue who the heck you are. Because you have to, there, there are certain things you are allowed to talk about and tell the truth about. And the deep grief that comes with that. I mean, we hear those stories all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the, the corollary to that that's so hopeful for me. First of all, I felt very, like, I don't know, the episode talking about uh, hope, peace, uh, mm-hmm. peace and lack of hope being the, the place of privilege where I can be at peace even when there's no hope for our society or no hope for our world. That spoke directly to me. And like, I definitely needed to hear that. Um, But like the hopeful thing for me is that if we don't heal alone, think about like how, how much your presence is worth. Even if you're someone who has not got it all right, hasn't gone through the whole process, you just being a body in the room, listening to someone, not running away, not invading, but being available like you contribute to the healing of, of the whole world when you do that. And that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty incredible. I think. Yeah. What, what do you guys think about Quinita's thing about, and I've heard her say this before, but every time she says it, I ask her to repeat it because it just sends chills down my spine. And that is, it is upon those most healed to do the healing. That was I mean, hard to hear. <laughs> I, I I think I've always thought that. Yeah. Um, it just it's it seems like, but I think that I think that it is sort of counter to a lot of the narrative that we have totally. circulating right now, and and especially within liberal circles. So, um, how could how could somebody heal? or be a healer or be an invitation to healing without having experienced it themselves. That's right. I mean, look at Jesus. Yeah. If we're going to bring Jesus into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and when, when I first heard her say that, you know, it sounded familiar to other things that I've heard, but it was, you know, it kind of it stopped me, and I was like, my first question was, well, how do you know you're more healed than the others 
you're in relationship with. And and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you kind of know if you're actually paying attention with an open mind and an open heart to those around you, you know when folks are in more pain than you are. You know where you're in more pain than they are. And yeah. and that that's part of the whole vulnerability piece is to to be willing to be nurtured when you're in more pain than those around you. And then that responsibility piece where if you are more healed, you got to step up and, and offer something. So, you know, th- that framework by itself in my old context could be very problematic and dangerous. But I, but I think, you know, those of us that are part of this, you know, a Renacast uh, constellation are, are folks who are really trying to be authentic and lift one another up and, and lift ourselves up. So when we're in those spaces, we have the opportunity to change the dynamic to actually be a, a space of of true nurturing and support. Right. And just uh, you know, Sila, her response to your question, Casey, is that makes every it makes everything makes so much more sense. Um, <laughs> uh, and Janelle, thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah. Tell your kids good night for us. <laughs> yeah. good, good luck with that. <laughs> Good night from the Adrenocast team. <laughs> I don't know. That was a little put a rasp in there, Alan. <laughs> Freak the kid out. Yeah, that's so comforting. One thing, one thing um, not to just shift gears, but what? talking about, did you, did you want to talk more about uh, the healing trauma piece, Jeff? Well, I was just going to say, Casey, from you know your question what i think about that i think that it's it's just a form of privilege right like to to get to a place of healing you have a certain amount of resources whether it's community whether it's education whether it's understanding where your pain or grief is coming from it's also having the privilege to be able to have a stopping moment in your grief to get to a place of healing so i think that uh i think that there's a lot of layers to that and i think it's it's true i mean it's you know it, to me it's like it's a pair parallel to the old uh, where there's great power there's great responsibility you know like it's there's something there that you have to offer uh towards other people so i think that there's um i think that's it's, it's hugely important and i think that that also then gives us a responsibility to to discern whether like who's ready for that next step like ending when someone is still in a place where they're they're not going to be able to receive it and giving them space to be upset that be all of that and express it in, in ways that are needed for them, I guess, in that moment. I I would push back on that just a little bit, Jeff, because I I think it depends what yardstick you're using as to how you decide um, who's more healed, who's less healed. And, you know, um, I'm not sure privilege has anything to do with it, at least the way that we define privilege in terms of economic resources, in terms of, um, you know, what kind of car you drive or how easy it is to get all the bills paid every month or whatever. I think, I think it's a, I think healing's on a completely different plane than that, than any of that. I, I think what I heard Quinita say, and if any of you, I mean, you can all tell me I'm wrong, but what I think I heard her say was something like, um, in the context in which the conversation was happening, it was sort of like, I told this lady, you are the most healed in the room. 
And it's because you, your blinders are off. You can right. see the world um, in a way in which these, these white people cannot see it. You're healed. You've already, you see how the world is. And so, um, and so that's, that's sort of what I think she was saying. And, and it depends on the yardstick, right, Bonnie? Like, um, in this case, we are the blind ones. We are the ones yes. who need healing because we, because whiteness does not seek to be named. Mm-hmm. And so we, we just skirt around it or we try to do the next nice thing. Um, and what, what this healing requires of us is a full awakening, like the ability right. to not, to to open our eyes and truly see, and we get we get attached to to hiding behind shame, blame, and guilt. That's right. I think because it's it's a comfortable place for liberal white people to live yeah. than it is to actually do the work of of healing, of grieving, and healing. Yeah, but you don't think that being able to have those blinders revealed, like that, there's a certain set of circumstances that can come together. Like it's not. Maybe it is, and maybe yeah, I'm perspective. It's not this like magical moment that it's just like all of a sudden someone can see. Like I think that all of these different factors can lead towards someone receiving that healing or the blinders, however we want to define what we mean by by who's the most healed. But even by saying who's the most healed, you're you're still applying some sort of judgment or yardstick to what you view as what is being healed. And I think that it's a, a combination of all of the things that we face in life that's going to um, allow us to heal ourselves or give us the community to help us move through into that healing. Um, I think it's just a matter of terminology. Like the word the word privilege being like in terms of oppression, like you're you're on the, the, the downward stream of where the flow of oppression is happening and people who are oppressed often are the ones who have to deal with with the pain before those who have the privilege to actually avoid it and not deal with it. So just saying that, like, you know, you're healed, therefore you're privileged is not I think it's just different difference in, in terms. Um, oh, well, we have it, a couple of responses anyway. to that. So we, we have Sila says, do you think that there's a right, quote, yardstick or is there uh, rightness? Or is that rightness objective? And if there is a right one or right ones, how does one determine that? Uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll address that. And then we'll, D'Angelo will bring up your uh, response next. I, I would just acknowledge that there are a lot of yardsticks for measuring life and measuring our progress in people. You can look at it from a lot of angles and it doesn't mean one is necessarily right and one is wrong. Things can coexist at the same time. So I think, I, I think in terms not to dodge your question, <laughs> if all it sounds like it, I think in terms of what's useful, what brings me into more community with people, what like, you know, brings society together, what helps me get a better grasp on the world. Um, and, and I think less in terms of what, what yardstick is right to measure my experiences or the world with. Even if that's profoundly unhelpful, I think that's how I, I go about it. I think it's connected to what we were talking about in terms of our truth episodes, right? Um, you, you, the measurement, the yardstick in which you have is the one in which you are, you are building with every experience. Um, and the only way you, you measure those experiences is based upon life, I guess. Right. And the people that are, that, that you are, that you're surrounding yourself with, right? Like Rajiv's invitation to notice my friends gave me a new lens in which my yardstick changes. And I can now see from, 
and and that then requires me to respond. Um, so that yardstick is always hopefully changing. Um, I mean, and I, I, I do think there are some yardsticks that are wrong. And yeah. I think they're, they're yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that they're all right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the hard, the hard part is, is where these things become right or corrected is in relationship with folks who are different. Yeah. And that, right. that goes in multiple ways. In some cases, we're the different friend that brings enlightenment. In other cases, we're the person that needs enlightened friends to bring us difference. Um, and, and that's where the relationship in the communal, you know, authentic community really matters. The four R's as Rajiv would put it. Uh, D'Angelo said healing does not come from privilege. If that's the case, white people should, uh, healed racism by now. Touche. Touche. I think maybe privilege was the wrong word to describe what I was, was talking about, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's. I have no argument there, D'Angelo. Yeah. And 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 men being in charge, the world would be fine. Because male privilege is is pretty universal too. Yeah. yeah, and she pointed out a lot of ways how it's particularly some of the more patriarchal leaders who have some of the greatest things that still need to be healed. That part of the conversation was like very revealing. You know, talking mm-hmm. about those who are like tasked with enforcing laws and how there's some things that they're like somaticizing or not or just like narcotizing and not dealing with and, and the things are being asked to do and, and what that is like. And I appreciated her, her, her approach asking like, let's look at everybody. Let's look at everybody right. and have to everyone. And then bringing everyone into that conversation was uh, a pretty deep invitation. And before we move on, going back to Sila's question about what the right yardstick is, she responded to our responses and said, "Okay, I've gained some perspective." <laughs> LOL. Th- thank you. And when you here find the Sila. when when you find the right one, let us know. I'll be here. <laughs> Actually, finding the right question, find the right question about yardsticks, and then let us know. That would yeah. be really helpful. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that for you know Quinita talked a couple of times about being misunderstood in, in in various settings. And one of the things that I, I was listening to that I really loved is she decentered white American experience, put that off to the side, and really brought in multiple, you know, deeply rooted African perspectives. Um and and that yeah it just allowed me to enter her ideas and her prodding in a in a way that was free from concern about sort of white supremacy seeping in but i can see how that is problematic for folks because that white supremacist framework particularly in the american context is all some folks are used to mm-hmm. well i love i mean that that whole that whole story that she tells right where it's like um you are the most healed mm-hmm. right yeah. Um, and, and, and that, that language, let's be honest, it's often white people who are doing the healing, right? Or going mm-hmm. into the world, blah, blah, blah. I mean, as, uh, my sister, actually, that's my sister, D'Angelo, everyone. Um, uh, you know, as he was inviting us, the white privilege, um, if, if privilege is about healing, then this should have been done long ago. Um, but it's actually white folks who need the healing. 
Like that's where we have to like begin to acknowledge that we are sick. Our system is sick. Um, that I think is so important. And I love that about Juanita. She just takes it right off the table. And every experience I have of her, it's just like, we're not playing those games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like that's the world I want to live into and people that I want to surround myself with is people who can say, I love when she says like, I embody hope. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I'm, I am hope. Itself. I am hope itself. Yeah. yeah. Yes, honey. Yes. Yeah. But she, yeah, she can say that, you know, like, that's right. She's so, yeah, I, I, she inspired me in the way that she says, connect with the ancestors. And I think that's uh, another thing uh, that white people struggle with. Yeah. Well, what did she say? The, the, the Western ancestors are underemployed. Yes. Least employed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, yeah, that was the, that was the thread was saying like, she literally is like the physical embodiment of the hope of so many people that have gone before her. And I had some experience of that in my trip to Ireland, realizing that like my family came out of extreme oppression. Um, people were dying, not having enough food and coming here and realizing like, like I can take up space in the world. I have this like weird tick against like feeling in the way all the time. And so realizing I can take up space in the world because I am the embodiment of hope that people had put. It's funny. Like I was reading some stuff, uh, uh, oppression, like literature on oppression and Irish people were not considered white in the 19th century. They were considered white in the 20th century. So there was a shift there at least at some point. And so um, thinking even in terms of whiteness and what it's like defrauded me of, not like I want a claim of whiteness because like I have that Irish people have that right now, but I've been in some circles lately and in, in some of the the schoolwork I've been doing that like is actually shine a huge light on what I'm missing and shine a huge light on what I'm uncomfortable with, with, with the Christianity I grew up with. And it makes me deeply sad. I can't help but weep. And then I think about that time, like we even went to uh, not to tokenize this experience, but we went to Yvette Flinders church. And we were sitting there and I was just like weeping. I was weep. I remember just crying. I don't know if you remember that Casey, but like, we were like, I was, and I think part of that for me is like, I can feel when I'm out of like that oppressive system where I am connected with, with the oppression, but I'm starting to be able to like taste and see it. I can see differences of where white supremacy is just a part of the air we're breathing and it's not safe. It's not safe for my soul. It's not safe for other people. And it's it's like, this is a really long process to get to that point. But I'm discovering um, how much has defrauded me of, of my humanity as much as, you know, my uh, other white people. So that was something she brought up. She talked about mm-hmm. uh, the, the slave archetype actually affecting the people who were um, enslaving other people as well. Yep. D'Angelo says acknowledgement, agency, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and resilience allows one to enter into the healing process. Amen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Amen. And uh, Gina says healing is a continuous process. Then becomes uh, then because there's always there will always be learning, changing, growing, to, and growing to yes. do. And coupled with healing is grieving. It's yeah. the only way they, all, they are intertwined. You cannot have healing without grieving. Mm-hmm. also helpful in the, the grieving conversation i heard uh one of my mentors tell me you grieve the amount you invest 
Mm-hmm. So whatever you're grieving, just remember if it's huge, if it's world making, universe making, it's going to take a lot, a lot of intentionality to be able to grieve it fully. Well, think about the our collective wound. Think about this collective sin that we've been carrying for centuries in this country. The sin of, of uh, racism, the sin of slavery, enslaving people, um, the sin of the sin of the, this hierarchical understanding of which humans are are better than other humans, and you know whether whether you feel like you've personally invested in any of that, you have. Like it's a huge thing, and um, and so I think you're absolutely right, Alan. I think that's one reason why we're in this production mode all the time. As long as we can keep going, 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 we can somehow just pretend like there isn't this huge boulder that we're trying to climb a mountain with. And it will take stopping and letting the boulder catch up with us and knock us over um, in grief. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa says, I loved that statement about ancestors. I loved that. She said, our ancestors can help us heal. They are out of work. Yeah, that part was like so powerful for me. Thinking about, <laughs> she said, it's the ancestors who didn't get it, who sometimes are the people who might be the best links for us to actually heal because they know what what you need to heal. I, w- I went to Ireland and I was sitting on the, the the lake and I had this experience where I actually called on ancestors for the first time. And some people in my former life are going to be like, I'm officially, you know, off the off the the wagon now or something. But I I call I I. I like named them out loud. I named my great grandfathers and grandmothers, people who had, um, you know, been before me and then even further back. And I was sitting there and I was, I was just very, uh, uh available at, um, Loch Lean. And, um, what I experienced was like, it were those ancestors who, who didn't get it that I felt the closest to actually. And, mm. um, the one thing I walked away from that, that kind of intersects with something Juanita said, I realized I thought I had went to Ireland to heal something in me. And I realized uh, through that entire experience that I was profoundly unalone. That was the one thing I walked away from. I was like, I don't even know how unalone I really am. It was an extremely powerful experience. And then to hear her say, you know, she goes to that place and she's thinking the more Casey, you and I've talked about this before. It's a tragedy. When you dig into your own growth it feels lonely right like you 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 lose you lose people you lose conversation partners and it feels like you're on this lonely journey and then she says she discovered that was the lie the lie was that you were alone because we don't even know how alone we are and i think that's just the beginning of something beautiful and i feel like i'm there yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my rose-colored glasses are pretty strong <laughs> at this point. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I, 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 do, do, do you think, sorry, Jeff, before we, we shift, like, do you, do you all think that, like, we even perceive the ways that we're connected or who's with us or, like, you know, like, it's, it's like a mysterious thing, right? Like, how unalone we really are, that those feelings of aloneness are, the, are even the lie sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, absolutely. It, it's the lie. One of the one of the things I love to do with my confirmation kids is have them go and lay on the floor in the sanctuary, like at night, so it's all dark and kind of creepy because church is creepy at night. And I ask them to think about all the prayers that they have prayed in that space, and to think about all the people that have 
that have entered into the sanctuary to make their own prayers and and to imagine if these walls could talk. And what I hope, and then I sort of tell them, like, my hope is that whenever you are in this space, that you know that there are prayers that are still not answered that ruminate in here. You know, there, there, are, there are people for over a hundred years who have been a part of this community who have prayed these prayers. And so they sit with you. Um, that's on my best days, right? Like when I'm, I'm killing it. Um, but I think that that's true for all of us. We are embodied prayers, right? Um, that, that, I don't know. I just think it, it's so important for us to acknowledge, to understand how important, like Rajiv was saying, how important we are, you know, and not, and not, and I want to be so careful with that. Not that we like super matter, um, but that our, but our collective being matters. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our uh, freedom is connected, which is yeah. something else Quanita talked about. I think, it, you know, what would happen if we measured ourselves? We talk about finding ourselves and our agency. What if we measured that by the quality of our relationships, by the ability to see all the spaces between mm-hmm. us, by, by the way that we feel the way that the prayers hover around us all the time? Yeah. Um, you think about how many how many prayers for the future there were before you were born. Right. Mm-hmm. You were included in every single one of those prayers. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you were thought of before you were even born. So, yeah, it's true. We are not alone. I think Jeff is freaking out. Can that, right be, <laughs> can that be the question that we ask everybody at the end? Like, as, as we were saying, like, what what's your what's your measurement? What's your yardstick? Like what, what's one piece of it for you that you measure your experience in the world with? I love measuring. So I think that's a great one. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I will Jeff, Jeff, I want to hear from Jeff. I really want to hear from Jeff. In regards to what specifically? I don't know, Jeff. The ancestors. Uh, the ancestors. Talk about the ancestors. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll separate myself out even further from everyone else. Uh, that I have a real hard time with ancestor talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if I'm quite honest, because I think that um, it's easy for people to get the perception that um, you have to think of and know your direct ancestors. And I don't know who my father is. My father never knew I was born. So there's a whole side of my ancestry that I do not know. Um, and I think that then there's a lot of people that I've had in ministry that have been adopted. They don't know their parents and they've been adopted to a system that was not theirs and they have no way of knowing that. So I think just the practical aspects of ancestry, I think it's it's important to delineate and say when we talk about that, we're not necessarily talking about direct blood ancestors, but we're talking about systems and, um, you know, organizations or whatever that we have been brought up in and, and acknowledging acknowledging that there are some of us who have been pulled into systems that are not our own and that there's conflict there that I will never, ever understand. Uh, people who've been, you know, um, adopted by parents who are not from their their race or their background or their religion. And I think that there's a lot that happens in there. Um, and coming from a Pentecostal background, I have, you know, feelings about, uh, you know, 
certain language of, you know, like you were saying, being the embodiment of someone's prayers. And, uh, well, <laughs> maybe. Um, but I, even then, for me, that's like, that insinuates that there was some purpose in you were born. But uh, I was uh, <laughs> an accident. I mean, at a practical level, like that there was this, you know, not to get into my whole family history, but I think that the, all that's not all those things are true. And I'm not saying that all those things are not where what we evolve into. Um, but uh, it's it's just a language. It's just where I'm at right now in this place. Uh, it's a little too dualistic for me. Um, so that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at, I guess. That sounds like an episode in and of itself. I, um, well, yeah, before I, we... Just real quick, I want to address uh, uh, D'Angelo has a couple other things to say. I grew up learning to be aware of my ancestors, to listen and to heed them. Y'all, uh, they want to work. And then um, also, D'Angelo, you don't need to know your ancestors. They will reveal themselves if you create space to commune with them. That's almost exactly what I was going to say. It's like, we may not know our ancestors, but they know us. And the other thing is, I think, you know, the the, the biological genetic tree is one piece of it but like one of my favorite ancestors that i call out to is sojourner truth we don't have any genetic connection but she's an ancestor um and you know there's there there are others who are all i believe are all available to us um look at us protestants like trying to like sneak our way back into the communion of saints we're like, no, no, saints are terrible. And then we're like, oh, let's talk about ancestors. Well, I don't know. It's at least from those of us who come from a Catholic background. I'm not saying that's everybody. People like yeah. me and others, like they're they're coming from a different perspective. But as an Irish, former Irish Catholic, like it feels like we're backing into what Christianity had been doing for a really long time. Yeah, but you're a former Irish pagan. I mean, right. it's like that's, that that's, that's oh, where I know. Oh, I, I yeah. know. I was yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean and it's as an Indian it's very rich. And, I mean, people just walk around with it. Yeah, I, think, I feel uh, like there's so much to say. Well, hold on it. now. Go real quick. Just going back before we continue on with this, uh, Sila referencing kind of the beginning of this conversation. I remember her talking about how some people are hesitant to call on certain ancestors and they've had neg- mm-hmm. negative experiences with. And uh, she said that those are the ancestors that uh, that have learned the most and are at times the best to call on. Super cool. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me think of a Christmas carol. You know, and Joseph, what Jacob Marley or whatever it is, and how he's carrying these chains, and then he haunt carrying his chains in the other life, and he's haunting his friend, trying to help him not to go down the same path that he went down. So, yeah, those ancestors who messed up have a lot to teach us. And I, I'm not trying to convert you, Jeff, or anything like that. We'll save that for the episode we do on ancestors. Um, <laughs> But I'm just saying, like, I, I know you're a fan of axioms to some degree. And so at the very least, at the very least, the, the, the things our ancestors experienced is are in our bodies. They are physically in our bodies and, and, and a part of us. And so naming them um, 
at least gives a name to the desire to have mentors, the desire to have elders. Like I look at Genesis, you know, the first couple chapters of Genesis in an idyllic world, people would live long enough to see seven generations down the line. So the decisions that you make, you're literally have to face your children when those decisions come full, right. And on the other hand, you have seven generations to look back and like see the people that are holding you and knowing you and loving you. So at the very least for me, when I name ancestors, I'm naming that part of me that really wants to belong to something bigger than me, but is also calling me in a very intimate way. So, okay. Maybe that's the, well, sorry. it's it's not it's not that I, I need know. to be converted. I understand all of that, and I believe all that. I'm just saying that the language itself of this, like, I'm, I just don't like mystical language. That's all I'm saying. Like, I get it. So, to me, it's the same thing as saying. I'm going to learn about where I came from in a history book and have like the practical history to it. And I, 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 I can gather the same things from it. I'm just saying that that, that dual language, like I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like dual planes of existence, like the spiritual realm and the physical realm. I, I know, I'm, I'm sure we'll have an episode about that as well, but I'm just saying that, that that's what all that conjures up for me. I think we all en- end up landing in the same place. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to be sitting on a beach somewhere you know, calling out to ancient spirits or whatever. I'm just gonna, I might sit on a beach and pick up a book and learn a little bit more, but I'm not gonna, it's not going to be this spiritual experience for me. So if we're going to delineate those things anyway, I think a future episode should be an episode on failure and our segment should be, let's try to convert Jeff because we'll all fail. (laughs) (laughs) Casey, you were going to say something. Um, Let me see if I can remember. Star Wars. That's right. So in the last movie of the Star Wars, whatever, uh, I can't think of what they're called right now, but uh, do you guys remember, this is like, if you love Star Wars and you haven't watched the last one, then just close your ears, whatever. But um, you remember when they are, they're like getting ready to fight and, and they're like, the young woman is fighting the bad guy. I can't remember his name because I'm not a super big Star Wars fan. And and he's basically saying, you're my granddaughter and all the evil that lives in me lives twice as bad in you. And you're always going to be a synth. That's what it is. You're always going to be a synth, right? Is that, do I have synth, the right language? Synth. synth is a keyboard. Okay, okay <laughs> whatever. Okay, whatever it is, synth. You're always going to be one. You're a terrible person and you're going to do terrible things. And then she says something like, hopefully you've all seen this movie. Um, something like the force is with me. Like the force is with me. The Jedi's before me are with me. Like there's just this awakening of the good that is in her. Um, and this, it conjures in her this moment of, I do not have to live into the identities of my, my past, right? My family is terrible history. Um, but there is something else in me and it is the force and it is stronger than any of that. Um, it's connected, I think, or I just talked for a long time for nothing, but I'm pretty sure that it is connected to what you're saying. No, it's very connected. I mean, that was the whole the whole point of that that final scene was that, uh, and it would have landed a lot better if J.J. Abrams knew how to told a real story. But that's a different, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different thing. We don't need to get into that. <laughs> but hey, no, you're, Jeff, I go. I feel the way about Star Wars the way you feel about ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what were you going to say, Jeff? 
it it's connected. You are finishing. No, I think I think it's totally connected because that that scene that that Casey's describing is that is that you know you literally have the voice of all the Jedi's. If you're a fan of that film series, so Rajiv, you know you're excused. But if you're a film of that <laughs> fan series, they use all the voices throughout all the iterations of Jedi from the animated series to the cartoon to the uh, to the actual movie, and you hear all their voices telling Ray that we are with you, we are with you, we are and with, that yeah. gives her this yeah. strength to kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and go through that's that. cool um so yeah for sure um connected to that sorry can i just take up a little more space um so i have a friend who is a pastor and she tells the story of this time that she received anonymous flowers from someone in the congregation and she said she spent an entire week you know just treating everyone so much different because she assumed that every anybody could have sent her these flowers right um and so her interactions changed because she thought, oh, well, maybe like maybe Alan got these flowers for me. So I'll listen a little more astutely. I'll be present in a way that maybe I wouldn't. Um, but then she received hate mail that was also anonymous. And that same thing happens in your brain where for a week you're like, you all can go to hell. Right. Um, and I think this the invitation and in how we see the world is so important. Um, that if we begin to see the world in which, you know, the universe is, is working for our good, right? Um, that, that how you see the world matters, um, in the way that Quinita is inviting us to notice, um, is sort of like with flower, with the flower idea. Like you can wake up tomorrow and say, everyone writes me hate letters, hate notes, and I don't know who it is. Or you can say, everyone is out to, to grant me flowers, including the universe. Hmm. Absolutely. Or, or you can say both. And I think, I think yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think that that is, you know, the dualism, this idea of spirit world and human world. I don't really see it that way either. I see it as like, it's all infused. It's all connected. There isn't some other plane, spiritual plane um, beyond this world. It's, the connections between us that it's not actually flesh and blood connections. I'm not holding your hand, but I'm connected. So what is that? What is that? You know, what is it that we're all swimming in? And I think that's part of what she was talking about. There's my body that's contained in my skin. And then there's also the me that's connected and, you know, held and um, reaching out beyond my body. For, for some people, for me, the metaphor of spaciousness really works for me. There's a lot of space in the world. Like, whatever I'm experiencing, like, just looking around things, there's just a lot of spaciousness around stuff between us to, to, to take up space and, and feel your feelings. And, um, and I think we get, lock, we get locked into certain, like, scripts of, of how we interact with the world. When we, there's, a, there's a lot of wiggle room. That's all I guess I'm trying to say. And like that helps me wake up in the morning and be like, oh my goodness, there's so much wiggle room in this day. There's so much space to just explore and, and be me. And I think that that's changed, that's changed my brain. Hmm. So yeah, is everyone writing me hate mail? Is everyone giving me flowers? Is the world spacious? Is the world extremely claustrophobic? And I literally have no way to determine my life, no way to interact in a way that feels right to me. Um, I choose spaciousness. And honestly, like it's a self-confirming prophecy. Mm-hmm. I'll just live in yeah. that. Yeah. 
Do you remember when we were little, like when the lights go out, all of a sudden you hear things, you know, or, yeah. well, Alan, uh, Alan can't answer this because we know Alan has like all these stories anyway, but like as a little person, I remember like I could hear, like, I'd be like, what was that sound? Or what was that noise? Or there's a ghost in my room. Right. And then there's just this moment when you wake up as a little kid and you're like, oh, I don't believe that anymore. And then mm-hmm. those don't happen. Um, it's it's that same sort of thing that it's like if what are you listening to? What are you looking for in the world? Um, because the universe is set to to offer you whatever you are willing to see. I guess is what I thought I heard Quinita say. The universe wants to prove you right. Yeah, I struggle with that, but that's that's for another time. <laughs> Sounds like an episode because I'm right. All, I'm right all the time anyway. I know, right? It is the oh, neo-Calvinism thing. It's the predestination stuff. Woo! I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's some, uh, yeah. If, if that's medicine at all, and she was talking about, you know, is, is the universe ordered by God? Like, is history unfolding in a way that is ordered by God? She's like, that's stewing for her. That's what she's asking over the last five years. I was like, man, if that is medicine, because I'm with, I, I, I'm with her on that. I don't know the answer to that question. But if that is medicine, it's homeopathic at best. Like one part poison, one part medicine. And I don't know if I can like open up for a spoonful anymore, to be honest. We'll see. Well, before we give kind of our our final thoughts on this particular conversation, uh, do you want to acknowledge Michelle? Welcome to the conversation. Uh, This was shown to me after my dad died and I learned about energy is also being open to signs that I never would have acknowledged. Uh, I'm assuming that in the comments you put an image to see, uh, but I, we don't see that on our end, just the interface no, that I we're think, using. I think it's just about the ancestors. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, this yeah, concept. The, the okay. existence of ancestors, the concept, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, have that experience. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you I'm with you, Michelle. It. Yeah. It's very cool. Are there any uh, final thoughts before we wrap, wrap up this uh, continuing the conversation, either from those of you that are on the feed or those of us that are here in the, the, the booth, I guess. I don't know. Booth, the studio. I just want to thank Casey for um, lining up Quanita as a guest on Arena Cast and for inviting me to be part of that conversation. It was lovely. Well, thanks for doing it with me, Bonnie. And, um, you know, Quinita reached out and said, I have lots of places I could be, but I'd love to be with you. And so it's amazing to have a friend like her and to have a friend like you, Bonnie, and to be friends with all of you. I love these conversations because I think that they are um, what real life is all about. So, yeah. And our question, I'll type it up. But our question is, what metrics do you use? What kinds of metrics do you use for measuring your experience and relationships? Measure away, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Just going back to Michelle. Yes, sorry. Don't be sorry. Apparently, I'm the 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 only one that missed what was happening there. So uh, I'm sorry. I apologize. And and thank you again, Michelle, for sharing. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well. Unless there's anything else that will do it for this, continuing the conversation. Uh, if you're watching this or you're listening to it on our podcast feed, please don't forget to go to irenacast.com slash 169 live. And that'll give you any information that we addressed in this particular episode, including all the ways you can support the show. We do have a PayPal uh, if you'd like to support the ongoing work of Irenacast. And, and merch. And merch, yes. We still have merch. 
We do, yeah. <laughs> but we want to d- direct you first towards our, our PayPal link. So I rentacast.com slash uh, PayPal. And then the show notes will have information on merch and other ways that you can support the show. And, and uh, kind of a teaser for our next week, we actually have our, our episodes planned out for july so we're going to be continuing this uh this conversation and uh in in a certain way and we're going to be talking about white supremacy first in the evangelical church and then we're going to attack our own and we're going to talk about uh white supremacy in the progressive church which will be a very interesting conversation so stay tuned those will be our next two episodes the first two episodes in july uh june since we released our episodes on tuesdays there's a fifth tuesday in june so we're going to have a week off if you're listening to this and we'll be back with the first Tuesday in July with that first episode of white supremacy in the evangelical church. Um, so yeah, just, continue to join us. Give us your it's thoughts. It's just a chance to get caught up on old episodes. That's right. It's just that a extra, chance to get extra, extra Tuesday. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, check out all of our stuff. Just go to irenacast.com and just stay there for hours and listen to content and see all the amazing <laughs> things that we have. And, uh, or just stick here uh, on Facebook and watch all these videos that are piled up. Yes. So all kinds <laughs> of ways to connect with us, continue to do that. Uh, so for this week's continuing the conversation, I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. It's Casey. This is Rajiv. Peace. Thank you for joining us. 